Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. You join us as we journey through the book of James. If you find these podcasts helpful and would like to know more about us, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. Fantastic. There, we've got a great video. The um, reason we do stuff like that is not just to be a bit fancy and try and be a little bit modern, but it's so one of those ways of helping you remember what we're doing and what we're going through. Um, before we begin, I'd like you just to maybe hold your Bible or hold your Bible app, however you, you read the Word of God, and maybe just hold it aloft or, or whatever is comfortable. And I'm going to hold my phone because I generally read the the Bible through my phone. And I just want to give thanks for this as well as the Holy Spirit. So Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, we come to your word and we can be blown away time and time again. And thank you, Father, we can be blown away because of the revelation of your Holy Spirit that we have living in us that helps us understand what your word says, Lord God. So Father, I pray right now that as we go through uh, the book of James this morning, or the first chapter, Lord God, will you help it speak to each and every one of us? Father, let there be revelation to each individual heart and mind. Even if it's things that I'm not saying, Lord God, let it be something that really speaks to people. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, in last week's talk, um, Sarah Ayers picked up on the fact that chapter one, in and of itself, is a wonderful introduction to the next four chapters. And can I say right now, those Bibles that you're holding, let's open them up to James 1 so you can follow it with me. Oh, that Bible app, can you... You bring it to life. If you do need a Bible, um, we've got some Bibles over here, and Pat will pass you one if you stick your hand up in the air like you just don't care. But obviously you do. That's brilliant. Okay. It's a wonderful introduction, like I said, to the next four chapters. And in some ways, this makes sense, as this was a letter to Jewish believers. And James, who we believe uh, is the brother of Jesus writing this book, or this letter, begins by setting out his stall in what he wants to cover. And what I'd like us to do today is focus on the more general aspect of what James, in this first chapter, is trying to say to his fellow Jews. And by consequence, because it's the inspired word of God, he's saying to us who believe also. And I'm aware that we're probably a little bit shorter of time this morning, so I'm going to go through the book in a a concise way. So if you have Bible-taking mechanisms, whether, again, that's by a an app or, or a good old-fashioned uh, pencil and paper. I don't know where you switch those things on, but can you use those and, uh, and maybe look at those things in your own, in your own Bible study and, and investigate a little bit more about those things that I'm going to go through relatively concisely this morning. Now, uh, have we got any stewards left in the building? We have. Pete, would you grab the bucket? Now, I'd like us just to pass these round. So Pete's going to... Um, just going to give you, maybe start on this side, right? Pass, pass those along. Pass those along. Throw them to one another. Do whatever. Keep going. Keep passing them along. I've, I've got about 40, so hopefully there'll be enough for you. These balls are my gift to you. These aren't just footballs. They're, 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 they're sold as stress balls. So why don't you pick your ball up and just give it a good old squeeze? How do you feel? How do you feel giving that football a good old squeeze? A little bit distressed? Can I have a little bit of feedback? It'd be nice to know you're still with me. We've only just started. So how is it? How does it feel? Is it distressing you in any way? No? No, not really helping. But it's kind of nice just to give it a good squeeze. 
Keep rolling. So, why have I given you these, these stress balls? Why? Uh, you may not even be stressed, but you know, just do it anyway. It's, it's really satisfying. In this opening chapter, James highlights pressure points in daily living that can lead to stress and strain if they're left unresolved. Maybe we could describe these things as stressors, pressures that bring stress. James gives us some underlying principles to help us face these stressors in a realistic way. So let's consider, I want us to consider this morning, six of these stresses and strains by reading through um, the chapter together a few verses at a time. So the first one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And from verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Trials and adversity are the challenges that life throws at us. In difficult times, our attitude and our response make all the difference. Now, our natural reaction can be to grumble, complain, resent them. However, as believers... And if you're a believer here this morning, we must remember that we have a divine resource to draw on that can sustain us through them. Isaiah 12 verse 3 tells us that we have a joy drawn deeply from the wells of salvation. James says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So that is, accept with happiness everything that comes your way. J.B. Phillips, which is the translation that Sarah used last week and what John read from briefly this morning, puts it this way. Don't resent them as intruders. Welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. Now, if you're like me, your usual practice is probably to count it as joy when you escape adversities. But I would say that patience is developed and character is tested and forged in the hot furnace of adversity. I'm not saying that we hop around enthusiastically when we face these trials, but that we rejoice in God who isn't overtaken by it. And in fact, will turn tragedy into triumph and setbacks into springboards. And so, on those verses, I'm going to try and give you something to focus on, to take away. So if you're writing notes, please note this now. Focus in on verses 3 and 4, and think about patience and perseverance. By the way, if you agree with me, please say yes, amen, shout loudly, give me some feedback. That would be wonderful. I'd really appreciate that. Let's read on. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything 
from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Decisions and choices are a part of everyday life. Are they not? Yeah. From when we say hello to the morning until we, you know, until our head hits the pillow at night, we have decisions and choices to be made. And even then, when we get to that pillow and we start to close our eyes, some of us may lay there awake, wondering if you've done the right thing or if you've made the right choices. But often, by then, it's too late to do anything but what you've already done. And we can often feel, can't we, that we've made loads of wrong decisions. James says, however, that we can work our way out of worry and prevent any negative consequences. How? I hear you ask, Ben. By stopping before we make those decisions and by taking a few moments to rid ourselves of doubt and to ask for God's wisdom. Now, this wisdom, if you're a believing child of God, is freely available in all circumstances. So, I would say and encourage us to all, not just to ask God to bless our choices after we've made them, but to get the facts. Don't be in two minds about something and seek God's discernment beforehand and then take time to listen for his response. And for anyone who knows me well, you know that I find this an incredible difficult thing to do. I'm the kind of person who gets excited about the idea of an idea. And I get ecstatic when somebody makes a decision. So for those of you who are like me, I've got one saving point to make about what I said about taking time to listen for his response. This is it. There isn't a set time limit. And there isn't a doctrinal way of doing it. A response could come almost immediately and in the most unusual of ways. Do you understand what I've just said there? That we don't have to pray about something and then say, right, I've got to wait 24 or 48 hours and, and wait on God and, and fast and do all that kind of stuff. He can he can, we can say, God, what do you think? And he can go do this. And we go, brilliant. Fantastic. And I'm going to say to you, focus on first five, uh, first five as you ponder wisdom and discernment. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Status and wealth have become shrines at which many folks worship at in our culture and in this age. In fact, the first question generally asked when we meet somebody new, and I'm sure all of us have asked this question, what do you do? 
What do you do? As if that's the most important question in the world. Sometimes you might even ask that before you ask them what their name is. Our society places a massive amount of importance on position and possessions. In these verses, James gives us perspective as to where true wealth and significance lie. Humility of heart. It's our position and our riches in Jesus that count. Not how we are viewed in others' eyes. I'll repeat that because that's so important because some people don't believe it. It's our position and riches in Jesus that count, not how we are viewed in others' eyes. Do you believe that? Whether we're rich or poor, or whether we're positioned, wherever we're positioned on this social spectrum, humility of the heart is the highest significance in God's eyes. What you wear, what you do, what you drive, how much stuff you own, doesn't represent your status before God. And I read this quote, which I think is pretty good to chew on. We are not to be partial to the wealthy, nor prejudiced to the poor. Not to be partial to the wealthy, nor prejudiced to the poor. And verses 9 and 10 there should encourage you to be humble and meek. Let's read on. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. This is a beautiful way of putting it. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Temptation and sin are inescapable in this fallen world. The pressure and influence of evil is all around. Yet James says here that resisting and overcoming temptation is a matter of character and choice. And Sarah, again, she touched upon this last week. So I want to just reinforce it today. I want us to realize that all of us, which very much includes myself and anyone else that you can think of who may, you may view as having it all together, we're not above temptation. But I want us to know this, and this is very powerful. We are all capable of resisting it in Christ's strength. We are all capable. Jumping ahead to chapter 4 in James, there's a verse, which is verse 7, that says, if we humble ourselves before God, in other words, submit all of who we are, which includes our thoughts and our temptations to God, we will be able to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Sin's origin is in the desires of the human heart. Temptation, get this, is not sin. It becomes sin 
when we allow ourselves to be enticed into embracing it by indulging in our own desires. I heard someone say once, very simple, you can take this away with you, it's the only thing you take away, take this, admit it and quit it now. Admit it and quit it now. And I'm going to say to you, look carefully at verse 16 and be vigilant and alert about yourself. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. When anger and temper are unresolved, they can erupt like a volcano, and with it come sharp words and hostile feelings. And not only that, they rob us of God's righteousness. And this is our Christ-likeness. We are robbed of our Christ-likeness. Now, we all feel anger, don't we? We all feel anger every now and again. Who feels angry every now and again? Wow, there's some amazing, amazing saints in here. Well, I do. But Christopher put his hand up. But James is saying here that anger shouldn't control our actions or determine our words. We should learn to control our anger and give a measured response. There's no room, there's no room for temper tantrums and sharp words in the Christian life. We need to learn to listen a lot, say little, and show self-control. And we do that so that other people can't have any kind of hold or influence in our lives. Let God's word take hold of you to calm you down. If you ever feel that fire of anger rising. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you've got the Holy Spirit in your heart, you'll speak with his wisdom and with his control and with his love. Remember that confrontations can pass, but words can scar for a lifetime. You can... You can push somebody's button by saying something and you might not have had anything to do with that original hurt, the original bad words, the original thing that was, that was set into their life and they will just blow up because they've been scarred by what has been said to them. So just, just bear that in mind. Let's be honest with our confrontations. Confrontations can be good, they can be healthy. But just be careful with your words and how you do confront. And I'm going to skip past verses 22 and 25 because Sarah Ayres went into some amazing, wonderful details about these last week. So have a listen online if you haven't listened already. But the main focus of those verses uh, is to see how we see ourselves in Christ and how easy we can compromise our relationship with God, quickly forgetting who we really are in Him and how we can deceive ourselves. So I'll move on to verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet do not keep a tight rein and their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Self-interest and personal ambition are obvious markers in our Western world. If you're sitting in a calf, as I want to do every once in a while, and if you begin to listen in on conversations, you'll find that a lot of them are full of self-centered talk and self-focused bragging. Just have a listen. Anyone who claims to be Christian and can't control a self-embellishing tongue is deluded. If, in other words, if they talk a good game, but do little to achieve a result, then their claims, quite frankly, are hollow. A recurring theme within James is self-interest and personal ambition. Now, I'm going to ask you, so those of you who have read your Bible a lot, and you, you, you very much know it's in there, who does this remind you of? Who does it remind you of? Any takers? Okay. Well, if you look at Scripture and you let our eyes wander to the Pharisees, yeah, a vocal and very influential group within Jewish society, Jesus didn't have much good to say about them, did he? No, he didn't. That's, no, it's all right. For us, this means that it's no good talking about the virtues of our belief without down-to-earth, pragmatic involvement with the needy and the powerless. To ask the question from the final verse, how involved are we with the bereaved and the fatherless? I don't want you to go off on a guilt trip. I'm just asking the question. I want you to consider it. I'm just trying to challenge us into going, how much do I talk about how amazing my faith is and how much do I actually go about doing something with it? That final verse is the key verse that we could do with reading it again and again when we want it to be reminded about kindness and goodness. Let's constantly look to see where we can put legs on our words. Some would say, get your religion on the move. Put down personal ambition and indifference. Stop talking and start doing. Developing skills in Christian living is an ongoing process. And we'll either cave in under the pressures of life, end up defeated and stressed with less than God's best, or we can respond to these resources that James outlines. outlines. It's not difficult, is it? The message translation of the Bible puts it like this from verse 3. Always remember that adversity is the door to opportunity. Always remember that adversity is the door to opportunity. And the opportunity it mentions is the opportunity to develop patience, receive wisdom, show humility, and to allow their true colors to shine through. Jesus himself talks about these uh, amongst the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. But he did more than talk, didn't he? He exemplified them in his life. 
And so James, his brother, having witnessed these things firsthand, heard them expounded by the master teacher, and then experienced them for himself, outlines and underlines them for us throughout this chapter and through the rest of the letter. So finally, let me leave you with this. Jesus never had to withdraw or apologize for any statement he made. He knew how and when to use words, choice words. He not only preached and proclaimed them, he also painted wonderful word pictures in parables, rich in illustration and thought and insight. He held crowds spellbound and enthralled, and he portrayed an amazing tapestry of the new kingdom with dramatic effect and vivid imagery. On other occasions, he affirmed good men and witheringly exposed the hypocrites, the bigoted, the outwardly religious. He was found in quiet conversation with individuals or his disciples, encouraging, comforting, supporting, chastising, confronting, and dispensing words of life and wisdom. No wonder he could say, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they have life. That's from John 6. If you want to have a relationship with such a fantastic man, to hear these words for yourself spoken through Scripture and from the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to ask you consider, to consider to pray this following prayer with me. So if you've not yet known Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you've knew Jesus but you've walked away and this is one of the first steps of coming back to him, I want you to consider praying a prayer with me. It's a prayer of repentance, which means turning around completely from your old life and your old way of doing things, and facing the other direction. It's a prayer of forgiveness. And most importantly, it's a prayer with a request of which something he will most certainly answer as he is eager to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. And just take a few moments to think about those things you've done wrong and ask him for his forgiveness. And now say this, please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.